not sure how many. It's been quite a while, but uh, I'm not even sure how many months we've been on Romans. We've been trying to cover about, oh, seven, eight, nine, ten verses at a time. Uh, but tonight, hopefully, we'll be able to, to, uh, to get uh, quite a few in here. Uh, we want to look at Romans chapter 10. It says, My brethren's uh, my uh, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless tonight. Holy Spirit of God, guide my mind, my thoughts. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd please kind of remove everything else from my mind right now. It's been a lot going on uh, this week as it, as it has um, really more than this week. But uh, Lord, I pray that you please just bless now. Bless the, your word uh, as we speak. And Lord, help it to be clear and help us. Uh, that all that's said and done here to be a blessing and encouragement. I yield myself to thee and ask you to please to guide me and direct me with clarity. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to uh, begin with uh, this, you know, right here, uh, this very first verse, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But we're going to, verses 1 and 2, it says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And, uh, and, of course, the only visitors we really got here tonight is, you know, my family. But we're just going verse by verse <clears throat> through, through the book of Romans. And uh, here we're putting these two verses together because they, they really do go together. But as deep and potentially confusing chapter 9 was uh, or uh, can be, uh, chapter 10, I believe, is, is extremely straightforward and really very simplistic, but yet it's very powerful. And so uh, it said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul once again stresses his desire that his people would come to know Christ as Savior. This is something we've already talked about before, how important this was to him. But he's one more time, he's stressing how, how vital this is, how this is really on his heart all the time. He's saying, brethren, my heart's desire, the, the, the intense burning inside of my heart. Is, and he said, not, it's not just this desire inside of my heart. He said, I pray about it. I pray, you know what? That'll be a challenge to us. Do you pray people get saved? Amen. You know, I've tried to teach when, we first, when I first got here teaching about prayer that we need to pray for Holy Spirit bread. Right. You need to pray for God to give you bread and help you cross the path of people that, is, that are hungry. 
Uh, you know, I prayed for Holy Spirit bread. And you know what? We give away some physical bread, so to speak, here. And I really believe that God brings to us people who are both physically and, hung, uh, physically and spiritually hungry. And so they come. But uh, Paul's, again, he's stressing this desire that his people would come to know Christ as Savior. He knows they seek God. Now, this is what verse 2 is really stressing. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. He knows they seek God, and they attempt to live for God, but they are desiring to earn favor with God by living for God. And that's something we've got to to think about. You really don't earn favor your eternal favor with God by living for God. That, that's, not, that's not how you do it. Now, look, I understand uh, if you're saved, how you live for God will be judged at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. But, but, uh, but you don't earn salvation by how you live for God. And so living for God is, of course, a wonderful thing, but we must check our hearts to determine our motives. I believe what he's stressing here, uh, for one of the things he's stressing is, is the motive behind what we're doing. You see here, they had a zeal for God. They were doing a lot for God, but they had the wrong motive behind it. The motive behind it was to somehow earn points with God. Somehow they were going to We'll see in just a minute, they were going to earn their own righteousness, and somehow because of their righteous act and their righteous living, God was going to look down on them and say, okay, I'm satisfied with you. And, and that's the wrong motive for living for God. I tell people all the time, especially when I win somebody, Lord, that you don't live right to go to heaven. Once you're going to heaven, you desire to live right because he loved you so much to die for you so you could go to heaven. You ought to love him enough to live for him. Now, that's what we have here. Is we, uh, you see, the people of Israel, as verse 3 and 4 are going to tell us, we're going to read those in just a second here, but uh, it says, well, just read this. It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You see, God says, you know, there's a righteousness uh, that, that Jesus brings that we can have. We can have the righteousness of Christ by faith. But they didn't, they didn't want that righteousness that God could give them. They didn't desire that. And I'm, you know, again, it's not a condemnation of them, so to speak. I mean, they, they didn't understand, and yet they would have come to the point where they, they should have, and they had to be accountable for their own decisions. But I guess what I'm trying to say is if you grew up the way they grew up before, we get too condemning. I wonder what decisions you would have made. You know, that, I say this it kind of maybe a little a correlation, but, you know, I, I'm strong on the King James Bible. I, I'm very strong on the King James Bible. And I had uh, years and years ago, it, it was a pretty intense battle on it. And, and uh, one fellow just told me, you know, he came through our college and he had had years of teaching about the King James Bible. And, and he said, I just don't understand these people. Uh, you, know, well, you know, he said, I'm not sure they're even saved if they don't. And I, I looked at him and I said, you had the privilege of learning. What if you were in a church your whole life and never heard what you heard the last three or four years? Do you understand? What I'm talking about is giving grace to people and understand where they're coming from. And, and they still are going to be accountable for the decisions they make. 
But, you know, but we, we don't need to judge the people by the decisions they make. We need to let God take care of that. But, so they, but they, it says, for they being ignorant. Notice that, being ignorant of God's righteousness. They were ignorant of God's righteousness, going to about to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. They were ignorant, but this verse tells us they were ignorant, but yet they also had a choice. And so, remember um, Romans 3, 21 and 22, it says, now, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. You see, they had, they had to come to a point, like everybody does, where the Holy Spirit convicted them and they had to come to a point of decision. But initially, they were ignorant of God's righteousness, which had been offered to them as a free gift. But the verse, the way it's structured, shows that they come to a point where they, in a sense, are no longer ignorant. They're going to have to uh, make a choice. But instead of trusting, this would happen with the Jews, instead of trusting in the righteousness of Christ, they believed that they could lo- live in righteousness, which would be sufficient to please God. Now, I want you to think on on this as I make this statement, and it's going to be really straightforward tonight, because i I just be honest with you, it's been been a lot on the brain, so I don't have an illustration or something to give you tonight, but you can live for God, listen to this statement, you can live for God without loving God, but you cannot truly love God and not live for Him. And this is what, what happened. They, they were living for God without a relationship of love with God. And you say, man, that, that's just, the Jews really struggle. We've got a lot here in America. We've got a lot in our churches that are doing the exact same thing. They live for God, but they don't have a love for God. And then you've got the flip side of them today, and, and forgive me, because there were those there have been those for the last, you know, whatever years, you know, 100 years, but we, that we, you know, the last couple of generations, we, where people see somebody who's living for God without a real relationship and love for God, they're performing a lot of tasks, and so now they've turned away, there's a, a generation that is turning away from that and saying, oh, uh, you know, all it's about is your own, your own righteousness, just like this talking about, your own righteousness, you're trying to be so good, and you're trying to, you know, you're living for God, but you don't have a relationship with God. You don't have a Bible study. You don't have prayer time. You don't have a, a love for God. And so they flipped over here now and say, oh, but we love God. But the problem is, so often, they're not living for God. But I say, if you really love God, then you're going to live for God. And you say, well, it doesn't have to be that way. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it was a command, if you love me. He said, if you really love me, then keep my commandments. But I'm going to just tell you, if you really love somebody, you really want to please those people. You want to meet whatever need. I mean, it's... If we truly love God, some th- that a lot more would change about us, honestly, if we truly love God. 
You see, if you truly love him, he says you should live for him. John 14, 15, I just quoted, says, if you love me, keep my commandments. These were people that sought to prove their worthiness, but fell short as they were destined to do. Anybody that tries to prove their worthiness about how they live, and again, as a witness to people, I tell them all the time, I say, you got, really, you have two choices, two ways to pay for your sin. You can pay for your own sin. It's just going to take an eternity to pay for your own sin. And so the, the people sought to prove their own worthiness, but they fell short as they were destined to do. They had a fear of God. Here's what I believe. They had a fear of God, but they did not have a love for God. They performed a duty from pressure rather than having a love relationship with their Savior. Now, I want you to get this. Please, you need to, we, we need to do a self-check all the time. We, I call it punching the reset button. You're going to hear this for the rest of your life as long as I'm here. You've you got to punch a reset button every once in a while and find out why are you doing what you're doing. That doesn't mean stop it. It means get your heart right about why you're doing it. There's a lot of things that are very important that we should continue to do, but it is very, very important why we do it. Because if we don't have the right motive behind what we're doing, uh, eventually, just people say, well, you know, the motive doesn't count, just do right. And, and look, I've heard that and I believe that. You, there are periods of time where even when you don't feel it, you've got to continue doing it. But I'm going to tell you this, if you never feel it, you will not continue doing it. And so that's what I'm trying to say. There, you, you go through some down times where you don't feel it, and I think you ought to just push through those and continue doing it. It's some down times where you don't feel like praying, some down times where you don't feel like reading your Bible. I'm, okay, you're human, and, and I'm human. If we go through some down times, but I'm telling you this, we ought to push through those. But if you don't ever get that heart relation and love toward God, eventually you're going to stop this. You won't continue it. So... They had a fear of God, but not a love for God. They performed a duty from pressure rather than having a love relationship with their Savior. Now, realize there are those who speak of love relationship with Christ, but they have no desire to live according to His Word. There's both sides of this, especially anything deemed a commandment that might take away their freedom to please themselves. And, that's, and the truth is, what we're finding today uh, we, we find a Christianity that says, I love God, but in reality, their actions reveal they really love themselves. And that's what it's all about. It's, it's I, you know, I love a God that, that will let me do whatever I want to do. I really love that God. I tell people all the time, when as, a, as we had our faith and family ministry and, and teaching, I said, you know, your teenagers... We'll love the stew out of you if you just have no rules while they're a teenager. They'll think you're the greatest parents in the world and, until they're on drugs, until they're in jail, until they're messed up, and then they're going to hate your guts because you didn't love them enough to, to teach them anything or to correct them or to do anything. Now, what this does when, when we really don't love God enough that it changes us, what it's, what it's doing is making love a mockery. True love brings action, not driven by fear, but by desire to please the one we love. 
So 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6 says this, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now listen to this, this little passage here. It ties into what we're talking about here in Romans. But it says, And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. This is what I'm trying to say right now. If you truly love him, you will live for him. You will obey him. He says, if you say you know him, and you know what knowing him means? That, that really means that you love him. You really know him well enough. Hey, watch this. You ever heard to know him is to love him? Anybody ever heard that? Okay, to know, it's kind of, you know what people say about me all the time? You want to get that? But if you know God, let me, if it ever applies to anybody, it ever fits anybody, it fits God. To know him is to love him. And look what he says now. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's, that's pretty straightforward, folks. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him, and he uh, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So if we really know him, we really love him, we're going to be like him. And so Jesus kept his father's commandments and abiding in his, and abided in his father's love. Uh, should we not keep Jesus' commandments and abide in his love? Now, to say you know him or love him and not keep his commandments, very simply, God says, is a lie. Now, here we move in. Christ is, in, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. If you go to, um, let me just make sure I'm here. Uh, uh, verse 5, it says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. And I think I skipped verse 4. Let me make sure here. Uh, no, let's see. Okay, no, I'm all right. Or maybe I did. I'm not sure. I'm totally confused. Did I skip it? I skipped verse 4? All right, let me get back to it here and make sure I'm right here. Because something's not right in my mind, the way this progresses. All right, for Christ, okay, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. That's what I was looking for. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And let me get back to that now. There we go. Verse 4 says, For Christ is in the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Verse 5 says, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. In verse 4, when he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Uh, again, this generation, what they'll do, they'll jump on that right there and say, See, the law ended. Christ came, the law ends. That's not what it means at all, folks. Listen, what, what that means is, is this. He's not saying that the law ended, but rather that Jesus is the culmination of righteousness. He said, when Christ came, hey, you got all the law now. This is it. This is law in total fulfillment. He's not saying that it ended. It can't because Jesus is the truth and the truth is, the law is truth. So the law is truth, and Jesus is the truth, and I'm not sure if you understand this, but those two would have to be the same thing. 
And so they're, they're both the same. And when it's saying that Jesus is the end, he's the culmination of the law, uh, that you can't get any more perfect than Jesus Christ. The law pointed us to righteousness. Jesus is righteousness and Jesus is truth. And then when it says, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law. You say, what in the world does that mean? Moses describe it. Did Moses talked all about it? That's not, again, not what it means. Describeth in reality is describing the writing of the law. As a scribe writes, what this verse really means is that Moses wrote it out and Moses explained what he wrote out. It's what it's talking about. Moses described the law, uh, wrote the law, which describes righteousness. It's, it's like a, a scribe will write out describe, a scribe writes it out, and that's what it's saying is Moses wrote it out, and he made plain what he wrote out to them. He wrote out and explained it to them. Verse 6, it says, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, and this is the only passage that to some may give some confusion, and and I'm not saying that everybody's going to agree with even my uh, description of this, but I'm going to tell you what I think it means. But the righteousness which is of the faith speaketh on this wise, saying, in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, what's in my, in my mouth and in my heart? That is the word of faith which we preach. So what do we have here? This passage is debatable, but what I, I want to relay is what I believe it means in simplicity, and that's this. You see, the Jew was awaiting the Messiah. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And he rejected that Jesus was the Messiah. Nevertheless, Jesus had already come, had he not? He had already come from heaven. But they rejected that he had come. But watch this. But they were looking for the Messiah to come. And so God's saying, he's very simply saying, uh, the scriptures, uh, he's saying, uh, it's been a long week, folks. Paul is saying, look, you don't need to go looking to pull down another Messiah. He's already here. So you can go search in heaven to try to get you another one to pull him down, or you can go into the grave and try to pull up another one out of the grave to resurrect him, but it won't work. He's already come. He's already been resurrected. That's what it's saying. Now, no need to look for him to come because he's already come. What is needed is, here's what it concludes with, what is needed is to by faith believe in the risen Christ. That's what that passage is talking about. He said, don't go be searching. Don't go searching heaven. Oh, when's the Messiah coming? When's the Messiah coming? Oh, uh, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's going to rise from the grave. And God said, no. By faith, believe in he who has already come. Does that make sense to y'all? I hope it does. Verse 9, it says that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And this, the, verse 9, we use it so often, uh, you know, just kind of, not out of context, but we don't connect, you know, we don't look at the context of what we just read. But 
this, this fits so beautifully with verse 8 that the looking for is done. Now is the time to accept. See, he's already come. So this is not the time to be looking. This is the time to accept the, Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect Son of God who's already come. It begins, but that acceptance begins with confession and admission that, the, that Jesus is the Lord, the Savior, Messiah that the world looked for. So God's saying that, look, uh, for thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. He said, look, uh, don't stop searching. Now, going back to verse 8, stop searching for who's going to come. Stop searching for who's going to come up from the grave because I am sure that there were others after Jesus that came along that somebody said, maybe it's him. Maybe finally it's him. And he died. And they're thinking, okay, we're going to wait. See if he arises. And God says, don't be doing that. It's already done. He said, you know what you need to do? Right here. You need to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And he said, and, and you'll be saved. It's, it's already done. You don't need to be looking anymore. It's already done. But listen to this now. But a confession is primarily a, a, a mental assuaging. Uh, it must be based on a true heart belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died and rose from the grave. The one who believes this finds salvation by faith in the risen Savior. So he's saying, you know, yes, you need to, you need to accept. First, the Jew had to mentally accept. And that's why verse 9 is phrased the way it is. He says, you got to just, wait a minute, quit looking to heaven. Quit looking from the grave. You quit trying to find another Savior. He's already here. So mentally, accept that. Believe that. He said, but it's going to take more than just mentally. You got to believe in Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the Christ. But also in my heart, I believe he's my Savior. Now, verse 10 clarifies this important issue, for we see that the heart belief, in fact, comes before the mental acknowledgement and testimony. Look at verse 10. He says, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. So these two verses together, really verse 9 is primarily, I believe, primarily directed to the Jew, because the Jew had to rethink. He did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, he did not believe that he had risen from the dead. He didn't believe in him. So he's got to change his whole mental thinking about who Jesus is. And then he's got to believe in him as Savior from his heart. Then verse 10 is going to clarify for us, for all, uh, for all Gentiles, in the sense, his, for the, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. We don't have, a, in a sense, a previous thinking about this. When I heard about Jesus for the first time and first heard the gospel, I didn't have some other something inside my brain uh, where I was looking for some other Savior. I didn't have that. You know what I With the heart, I believed in Jesus Amen. that night. Amen. And with my mouth, confession was made unto salvation. And with my mouth, I, you know, I said and have been saying for this last 40-something years, that I believe in Jesus Christ. He saved me, given that testimony, November the 8th, 1975, so many times, that testimony that he saved me. Okay, my time's almost done. Verse 11 gives assurance. Now, verse 11 
is an assurance verse. It gives assurance for anyone who believes in Christ in their heart and mind will never have a reason to feel they made a mistake trusting Christ. Man may turn away from Christ, but the turning away of man never is, can never be justified by Christ. And by that I mean Christ is never going to give us a reason to turn away from him. That makes sense to you? That's what it's saying. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Well, that means that when we believe on him, this is an assurance. That means that when we believe on him, Christ is never going to let us down. He's never going to go back on his word. He's never going to fail to complete his promise. He, hey, listen, as Brother Cummings was taking his last breath, Everything Christ promised to do, he did. He did. And from the time that man trusted Christ, Christ has never given a reason, never gave a reason for him to be ashamed that he trusted Christ. Now, I'll be honest with you. You trust me, I may give you a reason one day to be ashamed that you trusted me. I'm a human being. I, I would like to think that it would never happen. But you know, you trust in anybody or anything else. And they may give you, you know, whether it's a ball player, it's your favorite ball player, whether it's a politician, that's your favorite politician if you're insane. Um, I don't care who they are, and you think this is the most quality person in the world. You, you may just find out that they got a flaw. But Jesus will never give you a reason. Never. So, Galatians verse 12, and again, this is further assurance, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all them that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is assurance that salvation is available to all the world, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. That pretty much includes everybody in this terminology. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And so it's, it's again, the an assurance verse, but then it says in verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and, and, and just to give you just a little bit, you know, about that verse, to call on the name of the Lord, and, and I use this, and I have been using this for 30 years probably, when I studied this out 30 years ago, to call on the name of the Lord is to call on His authority and His ability. Amen. I use it all the time when people, look, to, I tell them, to call on His name doesn't say, hey, Jesus. That's not what it means. Is to call on him, his authority and his ability. Listen, his name is his ability. Listen to this. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. You see, Jesus died for us. He is able to save us call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord is an ultimate authority. So it's his authority 
and his ability that we call upon when we trust him. And, and to me, this, this Romans chapter 10, of course, it's just, just a fabulous chapter, and we use it so very, very often, but, but it's so much more in here uh, about assurance, I believe, not just salvation. We use it for salvation, and then we run someplace else for assurance, and then I'm glad to. I'm using every verse we can, but, but in here is also assurance of our salvation. God says it. All right, well, Brother Bob's going to close us in prayer, and I want you to know it's 8.02, and I've 